we were born rich and we grow up poor because our mothers were not prepared for anything financially to see my mother just to imagine what she was going through by being in that kind of marriage gave me another perspective of how I was going to live life and also to make a decision. So when I started telling people in my family, it was like, you are Western. You are trying to be worse. And remember, you are African. I'm not Western. I am African and I am proud of it. But mm -hmm. I am suffering here because of this culture. Hello, family. You are listening to Concrete Pastures. I am Nancy Mulemwasisi. Being an immigrant has been one of the most challenging and extraordinary experiences of my life. It inspired me to create a platform to reach out to my fellow immigrants and dreamers. The goal is to provide a space for myself and others to share our stories as we deconstruct the world's view of immigrant status. We discuss issues that are important to us in the diaspora. We celebrate the joys, the laughs, the bravery that being an immigrant brings. Please be advised that some of the details in this conversation might be disturbing and sometimes even triggering to some of you. Our guest today is joining us from New Hampshire here in the US of A, but she's originally from Congo DR. A little bit about her home country. It is the second largest country in Africa. It's six times the size of Germany. Today, we are talking about the civil war that started since 1996 and the impact it's had on so many lives, including our guests. According to the BBC report of May 2022, nearly 100 people were killed. Victims included young children. This was just an overnight attack by the rebels. It is estimated that 6 million have been killed in this war. By sharing this episode, you are giving a voice to so many like our guest. Koko Ramazani was born in Democratic Republic of Congo on the eastern region of the country. Koko is one of 22 children in her family from her father's side. Since she was a kid, she was always fascinated by the beauty of the environment. She loves nature because it's been a place of peace. She's a speaker for women's rights, children, and their safety. She speaks more than four languages, French, Swahili, Lingala, English, Lega, and a lot more. She earned a bachelor's degree of science in the business studies and a master's of business administration from the Southerner New Hampshire University here in the United States. 
She has a book based on her story. It's called Tell This to My Mother by Dr. Joseph E. Matuwali. It's a story about her life and it is published in both English and French. How are you, Coco? Welcome. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it. Yeah. yeah thank, thank you so you. much, Nancy. I can't thank you enough for taking time and uh, to give me a uh, space, the opportunity to share my story, which is the story of so many Congolese women and children and uh, not only Congolese, but also African in general, uh, women and children, because my story is from uh, how I was born, which family I was born in, and how I grew up, uh, the way I got it, education, and, it, and it's the same system in Africa that um, children are suffering from. And it's the root of anything that African children or African adults endure for years and even until they die. I'm very, very grateful to be here. Oh, and, uh, no, it's an honor. Um, I'm grateful <laughs> that you are here, honestly. Yeah. For starters, again, I want to take you back to Congo to tell us how it was growing up in Congo. As uh, you know, you said, um, I am uh, one of the 22 children. Mm-hmm. My father, Ramazani, uh, was a, a businessman, successful businessman. I didn't have a chance to know him nor my mother uh, because um, they died before I can have any knowledge of anybody. Mm. So my father was a very uh, successful businessman from the tribe of Olega in eastern of Congo, which from Bukavu region, Bukavu, we have a border with uh, Rwanda in Changugu. So that's where my father came from. And uh, so I am from there. <laughs> My mother also came from the same region, uh, so they were all from the same tribe. So my father had uh, 22 children in general from several women, uh, five mothers, I can say. My mom was the third wife of those five. So the last woman didn't have a kid with him. But so four children, four, four women gave birth to, you know, to all those kids. And um, so that was my father's lifestyle, polygamy. And uh, as all rich men in Africa, um, they think they are above um, anything. They can make all the decision without regard of the overcome, you know, of maybe children if they are not there anymore, because nobody knows really uh, when, uh, you know, the last day on earth, you know, um, 
will happen. And uh, my father was just uh, among those uh, people who didn't think that he could die, probably. Mm-hmm. We are more girls than uh, boys. And uh, as I grow up now and educated, I came to understand that I think my father was having all those uh, children because um, he was looking more for boys than uh, the girls he was having. Not knowing that, uh, you know, a woman doesn't have any decision on the gender that come from a male. Uh, but our mothers suffered because they were giving birth to girls. My mom had six children, and among six children, only two boys. The rest are girls. Mm. The first wife had um, one boy. The second wife had only girls, and my mom was the third. And my the fourth wife had only uh, two boys, and the rest of other were girls. Um, so to... See, all that, I tried my best to understand the mindset of my father as rich as he was and to try to understand better what was going on in his mind because I can't ask him questions, he's gone. Is it was only money or was also like a culture and the, you know, the things probably we call like a taboo. Kids cannot question anything. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I've been a very uh, like a troublemaker probably uh, because I ask questions mm-hmm. and that. All those five women, or our mothers, were in one house. They were all living under one house. Um, so the house we were born in, my father had like a compound, as rich as he was. He was um, he built a big house, and the house contained twelve bedrooms, and so. All women were in the house and all of us the children were born in the same house and grow up in the same house. You could leave only when you, you know, you get married so that when uh, a child could leave that house but everybody was living in the same house. And when he died from car accident, he was in business trip with his last wife which but the fifth wife, because she was still a brand new woman, like a brand new wife. Mm-hmm. You can imagine how they treat the new wife. It's like she's the little doll there yeah. and, you know, try to forget about the previous women. And so she was going everywhere with him. Yeah. So when he was in a car accident, she was with him. But she survived uh, the accident. But she was very, very uh, badly injured. She's no longer with us. She died uh, after years. Yeah, I'm so sorry. So that's how my father was living in in the compound with his family and uh, his mother and other probably uh, family members uh, uh, on his side because even now I don't even know anybody from 
my mother's side. I'm still looking for them because I, I, I need to know many things about my mother and uh, only them can tell me anything about, about her. Um, so that's how uh, we were born and uh, we, we ended up um, growing up in different homes after his death. Coco, how old uh, were you when your father passed away? I really don't know <laughs> because okay. I really don't know when I was born and I'm still I'm still really uh, like searching that whatever birthday I have I was just given it by one of my old sister from the first wife because she needed to take me to school and that when she gave me um, the birthday and i when i was working on, with dr joseph with on this book i was i asked my sister how how did you come up with uh, really uh, that date day and mm-hmm. you know year and, and she said i don't know what i was doing i need to take you to school and i'm so sorry because the system in Congo was this. It's not like that right now. But before, all children were registered in the father's ID. Hmm. So when he died, they couldn't find his ID. So all our information were in his ID. So we didn't have any any like a birth certificate or anything. So since they couldn't find our father's ID, that means they couldn't tell when all these small children were born. Because when he died, we were uh, like more than 15 children were small. Wow. Only four were married only for the rest were we were still very very young so to like to get to the point i've i've been trying to train my brain to try to remember even one word from my mother hmm. or my father and I can't come up with anything. I can't remember any conversation I had with my mother or any time I spend with her or, or my father. So, which means I was very little. If I can't remember anything that my mother said to me, and that has been killing me. Has been killing me. And it's not just that oh, yeah. my mother died. You know, mm-hmm. my mother died. I was in high school when she died. But the problem happened there was we got separated from them, from our mothers, after our father passed away. It's a, a culture. It's a culture. We have the 
patriarchal system in Congo, in, in my tribe, because in Congo, there is a other tribe like, uh, the Bakongo tribe. They have a matriarchal system. It's like a kids belong to the mother, but mm. in Lega tribe, we have a patriarchal system or patriarchal, you know, culture, which the kids belong to the father. So, so that's what. So this is why all of you would have to be on his ID. Yes. Oh my God. Yes. And this is why when he died, his family member, his brother and whatever cousins, mm -hmm. they made a decision to take all the kids away from the mothers and sent them to their families so they can remarry. My mother went away with only the baby she had because the baby was just a few months who was my brother. Mm -hmm. And the fourth wife also went to her family with a little baby because uh, um, all these women were giving birth almost at the same time. It's like my father, I, I've been trying to understand his mindset, looking at my family. It's like uh, he was under anxiety each time any woman was pregnant. You know, oh my gosh, she's gonna give birth to a girl again. She's gonna give birth to a girl. So the other woman need to be pregnant. The other woman need to be pregnant. It's like for more he chances. was, yeah, for more chances of having boys. Yeah. So the two women, the third who was my mother and the fourth, were they had small babies, just a few, few months, probably two, three months. Uh, so they allowed them to go with those uh, small babies because they were still uh, breastfeeding them. But every other child who wasn't breastfeeding needed to be taken away from uh, the mothers. And that's how we lost ourselves with our mothers and we never seen them again. So we got distributed in different families. I went with one or four, my sister. I came to learn after, as I said in the book, after that she was my sister, she wasn't my mother. I thought all those years I was with her, she was married. All those years I thought she was my mother mm -hmm. until one day she broke the news to me that no, she wasn't my mother. She was my sister from the child from the second wife of my father. So which she was my half sister yeah. with the one I called in the book, uh, Zaza. Zaza yes. I called her Zaza in the book. Mm -hmm. So all those years I thought that she was my mother. But unfortunately, she wasn't. And that's when the misery, you know, started. And they started looking for my mother. And that's when I knew my father wasn't around. He was dead. 
all those years, I didn't know that my father wasn't there. I thought Zaza's husband was my father mm -hmm. and Zaza was my mother. But when she told me that, okay, now where, where is my dad? Where is my mom? That when now they told me that dad died and the mom was sent away. And that the time they took me to school the first time. Uh -huh. Imagine all that time I didn't know. I didn't know that my mom or my dad, you know, died until I was to the age of going to elementary school. Mm -hmm. And those are the things I've been working on in because I need to start in my own family to change those things. Mm -hmm. Every child has a right to know the history of his family. Every child has a right to know if the person who's taking care of her or him is a biological parent or he's um, a family member. Yeah. You know, it's a problem in Africa. Kids are not allowed to question. It's a problem in Africa. Kids are not told the truth. It's a problem in Africa. Anybody can do whatever he wants with a child. It's a problem. And that's why I've been working hard to change those things. This culture is not helping us. It's not. We can't continue living under the culture like that. It's not helping. It's depressing. It's traumatized. Yeah. 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 Wow. So you you start school. There's a civil war going on in um, Congo still. Where in this period of time uh, do you end up in the camps? And how did you get there? <laughs> it's, it's really a long story. When I started school... When I started school, the country was just very in peace. We didn't have any war. We had uh, a dictator. Mm -hmm. Not Kabila. We had Mobutu. Oh, Mobutu, yes. Yeah, we had Mobutu, the dictator. And with him, we didn't, we didn't have a war at all. He was the only president I ever known you know, grow, growing up. When I started school, it was a Catholic school and it was only girls. Everything was just fine. I was living at one of my sister. I called because some of my sister's name, I changed it a little bit just to protect them. Of course. Yeah. I called her. Tina, Tina was the one who, who took me to school. Because she was the first, she was the second child of my father. Mm -hmm. The first was a was a male, and she was the first. She was the first girl, and she was she became like the leader of the family. 
and that's how brave she was. She took care of everybody. She and I can never thank her enough. I unfortunately I, I lost her last year. Sorry. Due to COVID, yeah, thank you. Due to COVID complications, because she became very sick, she developed so many uh, health problems due to to what she took on after our father passed. Because she became like a, a male, she became like a, the leader, and then she gave birth to twelve children herself, mm. and which was a lot on this uneducated woman. Because our father married her to one of his friend when she was just thirteen or twelve. Oh you know. When she was telling me her story, because I said that would be one book, one, I mean, another time, because I need to understand her and how she managed, you know, all that and uh, to manage uh, everybody. When uh, I started school, things was just really good. And I was living now in the house of uh, Martha, who was also the child from the first wife. Mm -hmm. So she was my half-sister. At the time, they told me my mom, like Zaza, wasn't my mom, and my dad died. So I became really confused and traumatized. I, looking back now, I think that that's when my trauma started. Mm. And also, or it could be my trauma started like when I said like the uh, the way they abuse women. For me, that started with Zaza's husband because I saw how he was beating her up, and I was angry at him. Like why my father is beating my mother because I thought Zaza was my mother. Mm -hmm. And her husband was my father. So I could just wake up in the middle of the night due to her sound because she was crying. She was getting beat up by her husband. And that went on for years. And then she decided to to run away. And that when we reach out to others who were in Bukavu and that's how she ended her marriage and that was the time she broke the news to me that she wasn't my mother, she was my sister. I'm sure she got confused because once we were going to get to the others, they were she, she needed to introduce me to them because they didn't know me. Yeah. She need to so she need to introduce me to them and uh, she was going to tell me okay this is another young sister okay and they were going to call her you know sister so mm -hmm. how come am I the young sister and she's a sister I think she felt the responsibility to open up the truth to me because it was just going to be a big disaster Studying school went like that by being in the house of Martha. I was living in the house, but my 
school fees were paid by Tina, who was the the old sister, like the the second child to my father. She was the one who was paying for my school fees and I became very, very brilliant in school. And that was the time I made decision of getting education was important than getting married first. And I decided I'm gonna get education no matter how hard financially was gonna be. But I have to be educated woman and then go look for my mother after. Because, you know, as you know, in Africa, when you are a kid, they can't let you go anywhere you want. Mm -hmm. But once you reach probably uh, 18, you can now make a decision to go somewhere. Um, So I finished school like that, but I moved in different homes a lot because each home I was in, like in Martha's house, her husband was just so abusive that where I started getting really abused. I never, I never felt I was a kid. And that's the time I started taking care of uh, babies. That when I couldn't play as a kid. After school, I was stuck inside the house taking care of uh, the baby and cooking for my brother-in-law who was a a teacher to one of the school and he was very very abusive to her and to me being an immigrant can be hard having been away from my home country for over 20 years has allowed me to experience these hardships firsthand Throughout my journey, I've had a lot of challenges that were hard to bear. Juggling adjustment to a new country, obtaining my immigration papers, getting married, having children, establishing my career, and finding time for myself. Even though I've always had faith, I also relied on therapy, which gave me the tools to cope with the issues life brought me. My fellow dreamers, Let's remove the stigma around therapy and normalize seeking help with today's sponsor, BetterHelp. BetterHelp offers licensed therapists who are trained to listen and help you. Go to betterhelp.com slash pastures for 10% off your first month of therapy with BetterHelp and get matched with a therapist who will listen and help in as little as 48 hours. What type of abuse? But not to his kids. What type of abuse um, did he impose on you guys? Even when he died or even when I left that house, I never want to see him or talk to him ever again. That's how bad it was. Hmm. that's how bad it was and when I left the house I ran for my life without my my belongings they went to pick up my belongings after I ran away Hmm. he was beating me up 
he was beating his wife, insulting his wife. They had the kids who were born with uh, the disease. They need to to do like a transfusion to their children often mm-hmm. because they were having like uh, the disease that they were just running off the blood in their vein. So they need to to do uh, transfusion often to their children. And also she was just giving birth to girls. Her children, once they reached a certain age, if, if they didn't die before that, that means they, they will survive. But they were dying before a certain age because of that disease were in the blood. Looking back now after being educated, so it's like that was coming from the male, not even from my sister, because uh, she had other two children with uh, other two men, and those uh, two kids didn't have that disease in their blood. So because uh, she was giving birth to girls, and also the girl, the kids were born with this disease he was really abusing her so bad mm. and also his family members were you know now like in this war with her because okay she's she's giving birth to girls and she she's giving birth to kids who are sick so she lost many children because of that disease and uh, it, all, uh, it was all her fault. That's when I started seeing marriage, it's hell. How come everything that goes wrong in marriage, it's a woman's fault? Mm-hmm. Everything. Male doesn't bear any responsibility at all. So it's all a woman fault. So for beating her up and that when I became also Christian, I mean like a Protestant, I was Catholic before, then I became Protestant. Coco, in your own opinion, why is it important for women to have boys, to give birth to boys in Congo? Honestly, I really don't know the correct answer for that. But I think because girls, once they get married, they leave and the boys stay in the family. In my father's situation as a businessman, I think he wanted, you know, boys who were going to continue, you know, with uh, his work. Probably that was uh, the motivation for for him to do that. Many women go through this pain. Even my sisters went through that. Yeah, no, it's a lot. My sisters, yeah. Yeah. It's a lot. I I ask this question because there's a lot of men still to today. They Mm -hmm. expect for women to give them the choice, whatever choice that they pick. Mm-hmm. as a child to come out of them 
Meanwhile, you said it already that the women don't have control of what baby comes out of us. So no control. And imagine there was even there wasn't even like an ultrasound before, right? Yeah. yeah. African women didn't even know what, what they were carrying. Yes, yeah, for yeah. sure. Nothing. Yeah. You're gonna know which baby you have now when after you give birth. You, that that when you're gonna find out if the baby is healthy, if the baby is not a handicap, if the baby is a male or female. Yeah, that's the time a woman, a, I mean, like the African woman, find out what she had for nine months. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. but it's always a woman issue, and they will, you know, they will make her life miserable. So I can just imagine what my mother went through for giving birth to girls all the time. Mm-hmm. I can just imagine what my other stepmothers went through for giving birth to girls all the time in my father's hands. And that's why, you know, he was getting married all the time. And I was told when he was in the business trip that took his life, he was getting ready to marry the sixth wife. Because the fifth wife didn't conceive immediately. So for that, it was a problem for my father. So he needed to marry the sixth wife who was going to give birth quickly. Hmm. Unfortunately, he died in that car accident. He didn't marry, he didn't do all the ceremony anymore with, but he had already a fiance, you know, who was going to be the sixth wife. So if he didn't die, my father was going to get to, I don't know how many women and I don't know how many children, maybe hundred children, because he was just in this mode of looking for boys often. And that made me angry knowing my father's mindset. That make me not having a good relationship with my brothers mm-hmm. because... Okay, I am a girl. And looking the names that my father used to give us, like uh, uh, Lega names, our tribe names, mm-hmm. it's unbelievable for all girls and the boys, completely different. So why African men do this to us? Why? Each name... If you know the meaning of uh, the name, you just feel like, why my father gave me this name? What did I do wrong? Mm. Just to be born a girl? But that's how my father's mindset was working. When you look at my brother's name, it's completely like a king and prince and that. The one I was looking for, mm. you know, yeah. You know, it's a problem to African families. And how can we change that? We have to change it. And that's why I've been speaking up about it. And I need to start in my own family to make a change on that. Mm-hmm.
you know, because most of the time they, I mean, when there is a financial problem or when there is a crisis in the family, they have to ask for a girl. Can you help? Can you help? No, I am a girl. Remember, I am a girl. You are a man. You are both the chosen one, the, you know, the, um, the prince, the king. Yeah, the king, the prince one. Mm -hmm. Why do you think I am the one who have to take cover now, like uh, financially? I have to help. I have to look for money. Yeah. To take care of you, to feed you. No, I am a girl. I was unwanted. Mm. And that has been depressed me for so long, knowing that when I look, okay, this little girl, maybe I was, maybe I was playing in, you know, uh, in the living room and my father was looking at me like, uh, so I was just another little thing that he didn't care because I was a girl. He didn't care. So, um, in which position a child can can place herself knowing that my father never wants me because I was a girl. It's a painful. It's a painful. African children suffer and I am one of them. And it's the pain for all African children. But can we live each generation under that pain it's the choice we have to make do we have to change it do we have to make it better we have no control on gender we have no choice on gender so why do we have to be mistreated because of the gender we were born in so it's up to us if we want to change it or if we don't want to change it culture doesn't benefit us it doesn't I agree yeah. 100% yeah. tradition it's better than than a culture what do I mean by that tradition is it's something that like uh, um, the country's holiday that's a tradition. You know, people gonna celebrate the country's holy day. It's for everybody. But when it's becoming a culture, it benefits one group or one gender. And that's the issue we have in entire Africa. Many things are under this umbrella of culture and only male benefit from it. Only male and the female have to suffer because we are under this umbrella of culture. You try to do something different. Oh, it's not our culture. It's not our culture. And you stay quiet and they beat you up. They punch on you. They do whatever they can because it's a culture. You can't say, 
I'm hurting. No, you can't say that you are a woman. You have to obey. You have to do that. It's a culture. So it's not our fault. We we receive the gender of the baby by conception. We don't do anything, women. But we are blamed for giving birth to both. I mean, like to girls. It's our fault. And that started in my own family. What has so been the reaction? Issue. What has been the reaction for, from your family when you, what, when you started going against the culture? When, when I, when, I mean, like, I, I grew up very, just very quiet girl. First of all, I knew my mom wasn't around. I knew my dad wasn't around. So, and I wanted to get the education. I didn't want to rush in marriage. I needed to get the education first because my mom didn't even know how to write her name. Mm. And she wasn't working. She was depending 100% of my father. Who I came to learn my father, the way he was dressing up our mothers, they were wearing the same piece of cloth, which we call kitenge, the African the African cloth. Yes. They were wearing the same thing, which that is in a polygamy culture or tradition Mm -hmm. to try to show that I don't have a preference to, you know, one woman or another. But you can't please every, everyone. It's unfortunate. You can't love two women the same way. It's impossible. Yeah. But they tried to do that way. So they were, he was bringing those clothes the same, just different colors. So knowing what my mother went through, because as a woman, I don't think if I can be at peace sharing a man. I can't. Mm-hmm. I can't share a man. And that was the reason I called off my, my first, uh, my first uh, engagement after high school. Because the men cheated just after, um, like two to three months, we got married. He cheated. And from the beginning, I told him my principles. I don't want to have a man who is like my father. I don't. I'm not going to be a police officer. I don't want to go through the same pain as my mother. Because I know it's painful to any woman, even if that woman is Muslim or whatever. Sharing a man is painful. It's painful. Mm-hmm. So, and I can just imagine the pain my mother was going through. That was giving me strength and giving me 
the way I made decision to live my life. For them to to live that way, it's like they were on the mercy of my father. Mm. He needed to make all the decisions. They couldn't do anything. She was staying home, mom, all of them. And that's why after he died, everything was gone because those five women didn't know what he was doing. They they couldn't navigate the way he was buying the merchandise and the sell them and also the mining he had and the product where he was getting it. He couldn't he couldn't teach them because there were five. So after he died, the money was gone. Nobody was able to manage what was left behind. He had houses, he had um, like mining, but everything was gone. We grew up poor, we were born rich, and we grew up poor because our mothers were not prepared for anything, yeah, financially. So to be to be in that position to see my mother just to imagine what she was going through by being in that kind of marriage gave me another perspective of how I was going to live life and also to make a decision. So when I started telling people in my family, it was like, you are Western. You are trying to be worse. And remember, you are African. I'm not. Af- I mean, I'm not Western. I am African, and I am proud of it. But mm-hmm. what this culture is helping us for? Mm-hmm. It's not helping. I am suffering here. I am suffering because of this culture. So. I was called all kind of names, even at church when I started opposing certain things. I was called all kind of names, like covering my my head. Why why do I have to cover my hair when I am in church? Mm-hmm. And one day I went without a scarf, and I knew I had a power at that time because. All the songs were supposed to be sung that day, that Sunday. I was the one who was going to sing them because I was singing solo. And I said, enough with this. It's going to end. So I I came without scarf. Just my head, you know, with my hair. And this, where is your scarf? I'm like, I don't need it. I have my hair after... I mean, I I read um, the scripture in the Bible that if a woman has her hair, she doesn't need a scarf. So mm-hmm. I was, oh, wait a minute. So all these years I am in this religion, they've been lying to me. I'm going to fight this. So that changed until today. They don't, they don't force people in that church anymore to wear a scarf 
just for my one action I did. So in my family also, I started talking to them about about this issue. I was really uh, like to my father's side. They don't even talk to me and I don't care. Mm-hmm. They will never be there for me anyway. I don't even know them. The only people I knew were my sisters. And they came to understand that I was right when I started opposing certain things. They came to understand. But my father's siblings, you know, my father's uncles and that, of course, they're, they're against me and they throw kind of rock on me and, uh, oh, you are telling white people the secret of the family. What secret? This secret is killing me. What secret? There's no taboo here. This need to stop. This need to stop and God is not going to do it for us. We have to do it. We have to change this. What did I benefit from my father's polygamy system? I mean, like a, a lifestyle. Nothing except the pain. Pain. I lost my mother. I don't know her. She lost her children. Mm. That she died in pain. Because of the culture, my mother died in pain. Give birth to six children and they, they are taken away from you. It's painful for a woman to die that way. It's painful. So it wasn't easy. And especially when the book came out, my uncles really were pissed off at me. They were angry at me. But it was my choice. It was my story. He gave birth to me. This is my story and I have to tell it. And I have a right to tell the world about it. So back off from me. And I told them, I put everything in one book. But if I don't die, I'm going to write the second one. Because this one, I wrote it with a Dr. Joseph. I was dying at that time Mm. and I didn't want to die like uh, an educated woman. I called Dr. Joseph and I'm like, can you put it together for me? I was writing things down for him while being in the hospital bed and sometimes I didn't want to talk to him Mm. because I was so depressed, I was so angry. And I was so in pain, but he was very patient with me. That's how this culture in Africa is killing us. Children or women is killing us. Yeah, they were angry, but it's my story and it's my right to tell the world about it. And I don't care about them. I don't talk to my uncles and that's okay. I created a peaceful environment for myself. 
as you should. That's okay if even yeah. if they don't talk to me because we feel guilty African children, you know. We feel so guilty when we we don't get along with everybody. It's impossible to get along with everybody. It's impossible to please everybody. Live your life. Do what is the best for you. Mm-hmm. Not for him, not for that, not for your uncle, not for your I don't know who. Those are family members. We have to love them. We have to respect them, but I have my own journey. And I have to live that. I'm not going to go in my uncle's journey. No. I learned the hard way. And it's painful. I'm the one who's paying the price of that culture. I'm the one. And I think it's time for, for us African children to say enough is enough. Once I am born, it's me and my journey. Everybody else can help. And if you think by using your help, you're going to squeeze my life, get off. Get off. I'm going to look for another helper mm-hmm. in my journey. Yeah. So that's how I'm not, I don't get along with my uncles. I don't mm-hmm. even know their faces anymore. But it's okay. I will love them from from distance. Because those who helped me are my sisters and my my old brothers. My uncles didn't do anything for me except they took everything my father worked hard for. They didn't even give our mothers anything. They sent them without anything. That's how painful it is for me with them. Why do I have to give them power again over my life? And they did that to my mother. They did that to my mother. They did that to the others, women. Everything our father had, they didn't give anything to them. Nothing. They sent them without anything. And they cut everything our father worked hard for for themselves. They didn't even do that for us, his children. So that's why for me, for them to say this, to say that, oh, you are talking about the family secrets, you are giving it to white people. Um, as educated woman, it doesn't mean anything to me anymore I made decision to fight and we can't continue this way African children are crying are suffering and we can't continue this way generation after generation it's not worth it it's not Coco you're definitely giving a voice to a lot of um people because it's not only Africans it's a lot of communities around the world that have gone through some of what you've gone through I watched the documentary on YouTube of yeah. where you were talking about the how the civil war 
has impacted you. Yes. And how you are. Oof. And what you experienced while you were in those camps. I'm going to dive into that. Do you mind just sharing with us how did you get there and your experience being in those camps and the women that were there? That is a very hard part. You know, it's just like... Sexual abuse has been very, very uh, difficult, you know, for me. Because everywhere I go, I'm not safe just because I am a woman. Sometimes I look in the mirror myself and say, what is wrong with me? Am I just an object? And that took me back again to question what my father was thinking when he was looking at me as a little girl playing maybe in my just underwear the way the babies, you know, are. Because I went to church just when I was in elementary school, I started singing in children choir. And then I got transferred to grown-up choir because of my voice. And then this grown-up man, the pastor with the children himself, he started molesting me. What he sees in me. What he sees in me. But... I think after he knew I didn't have a parent because he was my coach, my my vocal coach, I was the right target for him. And I'm just a teenager, 12. What do I know? And not only that, I was calling him a father and also they teach no sex before marriage. And I thought, okay, this is the religion that will help me to grow safe and get education and, you know, reach the goal for my life. But no, I was wrong. I was wrong because I wasn't safe there either. I wasn't safe home. My brother-in-law were, you know, abusing me. I wasn't safe at a church where I was going to look for this peaceful moment. So I was going to school where I was much better because there was rules there and it was Catholic school. So I was more protected in school than a church and home. So when I finished school, I went to college. That was the first time for me to study with the boys because the elementary school and high school, I just went to girls' school, which we call uh, lycée. I don't know how in your country they call it, 
but no, that's how we call girl. it in Congo. Just a girls school. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Just for girls. Mm-hmm. So I didn't really have any experience of going to school with boys. <laughs> it was only girls. Mm. Um So going to college that was really um the first time I studied with boys in one classroom which didn't go very well. I after I left the school because of sexual abuse again because the professors all they wanted was to sleep with girls before they give the grade to the girls. And the boys need to pay money before they get their grades. So this was really traumatized again, you know, to me. So I changed school and my my church they open up a university. So I said I'm going to go to that because it's a Christian, you know, school. This time I'm going to be safe. So my sister who was paying for me at that time she said that she was going to pay for it, but then after a few months after just one semester she told me she couldn't continue paying for that I need to stop this was like over the phone she's telling me we went to Changugu we didn't we didn't even have a phone system in Congo at that time so I I went to the border of Rwanda at the hotel there there was a lady who was working there she was my sister's friend and uh, so she was using that line to communicate with me over the phone and uh, that when she told me that she wasn't going to continue paying for my education i need to stop and imagine in all these 22 children only four children have high school diploma only two have university diploma in all 22 children wow. that are catastrophic my family became after our father passed away mm-hmm. so that's what i've been telling also people having a lot of children it's not a blessing because we became you know like a, a curse we became a problem to our all the sisters financially to take care of all of us it became a problem they couldn't afford to educate all of us except somebody like me was stubborn who wanted just to get education and they did whatever they could and i can't thank them enough i can never repay them for them to be able to pay for my education until high school then the college they, they couldn't do it anymore they couldn't even when now i got here that when 
I put myself back in school and I took loan. Thank God in, in this country, you can take loan. It's not like in Congo where you, you don't have that option, mm-hmm. you know? So for me to get to that point now, when she told me she couldn't do it anymore, I went to Rwanda because I had another sister there. I spoke about her, how she became so abusive to me. I didn't expect that from her. I tried to work. I opened up the hair salon, which was very successful. Each time when I put my mind on something, it always flourish. Mm-hmm. And then I, I lost that hair salon when the war in Rwanda started in, in 1994, when the genocide happened. So I went back to my country without nothing, 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 Nancy, just the clothes that I had on me, everything else, the money I was putting to the bank, nothing. The hair salon was gone. So I was able to save some of my, like one of my friend and her two children, which I claim were my children to cross the border. I was going to lose everything again, like losing my life that day for protecting my friend, for taking my friend to my country. When I went back to Congo, to get a job, it became a problem. I, then my sister sent me some money. I started a small business with that. I started supporting myself. Because one thing I told myself in life is this, I will never, never be a sexual object of a man just to try to survive. Mm-hmm. I prefer to die than being with a man just because he need to give me money to buy food into that. There is a time I, I collapsed when I was in high school because I didn't eat for several days and I need to go to school. There is a time, I mean, I was using the lotion like a palm oil you boil it first, became kind of like a white, not red anymore. And then you put lemon in it to kill the, uh, the smell. I did that as a girl because I just didn't want any man to, you know, to touch me because he has to give me money because they do take advantage of us like that when they know you are poor you are a girl you you need lotion you need nice clothes you need to do your hair you need pad you need that and that's when they take advantage but we need to try to 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 understand accept the situation you are in at that time and try to fight look for solution your way not a man a man, if he give you money, it's not for free. 
He's going to need something in return. Mm-hmm. And they know we don't, we don't have a job. African women or African children, African youth, we don't have a job. Our government don't do anything for us. Nothing. Nothing. So for me to take care of myself was that I accepted that, okay, my, my parents are not around. I have to do everything by myself. So when I couldn't do anything anymore, then um, like when I came back from Rwanda and I started that small business in the market, so grow again as usual. I was selling like a children's clothes to people I knew they have those age of children and like a hair product and also blouses for women. So being in church where uh, everybody knew me, I have like the target, you know, like a group of people I knew they were going to buy my product. And that's how that grow also. And I started taking care of myself, buying food, buying clothes, buying lotion, buying that. And people didn't know my pain until I wrote my story. They didn't know my pain. But I was going through pain financially, emotionally, everything. I was fighting for my life. So in 1996, the war started. When the war started in 1996, I was now in another town. I ran away to Kenya as everybody was running away then after one year and a half there I decided to go back again to my country and in 1998 when I went back to my country I I look for a job Nancy even to be a cashier at the bookstore probably or just at boutique Mm -hmm. I couldn't get it Another problem in Congo is this. You cannot be hired at any job, any job, and this is no exception. Any job in Congo, for you to be hired, you have to sleep with people. Which country is that? What kind of life is that? And that's why I never worked for anybody before, because of that preserving my dignity you know preserving my dignity the same way I accepted to fail for the first time in college when I was in college in Congo that was the first time I failed in school because I refused to sleep with professors they didn't want to give my grade until I slept with them and I said no I'm not a stupid. So if you don't want to give my grade, it's okay to fail. I went to give the report to the administration. The response was that, do you think you see in high school here? Is that a country where girls are not protected? Nobody could protect me in school. 
You think you stayed in high school here. This is college. People had children themselves. They didn't care. So I failed. So for me to try to get a job, I put myself back again in school, like studying computer, because now computer started at that time. Mm-hmm. I said, I need to get the skills to try to find a job because I, I couldn't even find a job to be a cashier in any boutique or any any place because they weren't sleeping with me first before they hire me. And when and when you look at this person who's telling you you're gonna have to do something for me first, you just feel nauseous. You feel nauseous. Look at I mean I'm not I'm not I'm not like a, I'm not like a disrespect you know people but not just because you are a man and you are you are working maybe you are a gate boy you think for me to enter in this building i have to sleep with you first so you can open that door that's how it is in congo so you have to start if you have to enter to apply to that job in there so the person who is at the door at the gate is gonna want you to give him something for the place where you're gonna leave the application is gonna want you to give something the person who's gonna hire you the boss who's gonna be your boss you're gonna have to sleep with him every day what kind of country is that that's why i never want to work for anybody I developed this mentality of creating my own little job all the time, you know, because the women are not safe in any institution, none, and they are not protected, and there is no law that protects them. So when I couldn't find a job after, and I did that, you know, like a computer education, so while I was doing the computer education, the second war started. When that second war started, I was still looking for a job. And now at this time, I am homeless in my own country. Because I was living at one of my sister's house and her husband didn't pay rent for more than six months. And my sister didn't know. So they kicked us out of the house. My sister had the children and we were sleeping in the tent in our own country. We became homeless. So I, I needed to get a job. I didn't want to find myself in hands or in arms, in arms of a man to, to pay rent or to eat. Mm-hmm. Just as usual, that was my mindset and still until today. I can't sleep with a man just because I am in need of money. And the girls, African girls, I'm pleading with you. Do not accept to die. If you're going to die, 
It's okay. Die with your dignity instead. Instead, I didn't die. God opened other doors. So that's how I find a job in politics. I never want to work in politics. I hated it because I was under just the dictator Mobutu. He was the only president I've known since I was born. I never voted in my country. He was the only candidate all the time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So there was a lady where I was doing, I mean, where I was going to school, like for computer training, they, this new government in 1998, they, they needed secretaries. As they needed secretaries, but to enter there, you need to sleep with somebody for you to get hired, to get a job. But likely for me, because where I was going to school for computer training, they, they, they came there, they need to get their work to be done because they didn't have a secretary to work for them. We had like two government at that time because there was a government, the president Kabila in Kinshasa and in East, we have another president who was Wamba Diawamba. This is the second war now. So the country was divided in two. So in East, there is a one government, there is a, a president and by West and you know, the entire country there in Kinshasa, there is another president that is another government. So they needed people to work for them. And the owner of that school where I was attending gave them condition because she, uh, the wife was my neighbor in Bukavu, in my hometown. And they were friends with my sister. So we became, we became like uh, families, members, things like that. You know, I mean, like African, wow, you mm-hmm. know, when, when you are neighbor, it's like, it's one family now. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So she was, she was there for me and I was taking that training or that education there to that school on credit. I was going to pay them after because I didn't have the money to pay for it, but they agreed for me to to study and then pay after when I start working. So mm-hmm. that was for me like a, a gift. I became very, very good in computer, you know, thing. And because I had also the ability to type fast. So he told them, if you wanted me to give you guys my computers, you're going to have to hire her. And that's how I got a job in politics without sleeping with anybody in first place. Yeah. Because of that condition, he gave them that condition. If he wanted me give you my computers, you need to hire her and 
I got hired by one of the minister. So working for that minister, we were two girls in the office. The first salary for me, I rented a house immediately, like a three bedrooms. So we got out of the, the tent. Mm-hmm. I wanted to move by myself then and how I'm going to leave my sister here with the kids. So I rented the three bedrooms instead of one bedroom just for myself. So my salary was just to support my family at that time now. And then the first time I was sexually abused was there with my first boss. He was already going out with my my coworker the other secretary because there were two of us mm-hmm. she was a mother of two she was a single mother so when uh, he was going already out with with her it was okay i'm safe and you see this minister he was an old guy in his 50s i'm just in my early 20s and one day he lied to me then he said he he called me and like we have a meeting and we're gonna do that meeting at the hotel on weekend so you guys need to be there at certain time when I told the other girl, I'm like, do you know that we uh, we have a meeting on Saturday and we're going to have to be there and that. So then she went to ask him that, oh, Colette told me that we have a meeting and at that time, what kind of meeting is that? Oh, no, the, oh, no uh, there's no meeting. Oh, so that means you are inviting her at the hotel and that. So they became like, you know, they're fighting because they were already together. Mm -hmm. So he came to me very furious and he started, you know, yelling at me. I'm like, I thought it was a meeting for everybody. What is wrong with that for me talking about the meeting with her? No. That was just you. And I'm like, why me? Only at the meeting. But that's how, you know, women in Congo and I think in entire Africa are not safe at workplace. The presence of each woman at workplace, it's just like you are the sexual object for any man there, for your boss. He was already with that girl. He was a father himself. His kids were in France or Belgium. He was coming from Europe. This is an old guy. But other men, children, he thinks they are just an object there for him. You know, 
he got mad at me just because I told the other secretary that we have a meeting on Saturday. Are you going to be there? So that issue became very, very bad. And then after another day, he said, okay, we have a meeting here at the office. And uh, I got there. There was no meeting for everybody except me. Why? And then that was the first time he raped me. My own boss. My own boss at work. You know. They, they, they have no, they have no pity. I'm just a little girl in, in front of him. This is a, someone who is a father himself. His kids are in Europe. His wife is in Europe. And just because I am a secretary, I need that salary to pay rent, to take care of myself, to eat, to do anything. And now I am on the mercy of this old man. And there is no justice in Africa. Why our leaders don't do anything about these things like this? We are not protected. Here in America, you can't get away with that. You can't. You can't. But in Africa, they do it because there's no punishment for it. So we have to fight ourselves. My own boss. I left there in tears. I explained that in the book. For people to understand it, they can read it for themselves. Yes. Mm -hmm. You know, after that, they changed me, the boss. I, I need a job. That's when now they transferred me to work with the president of that government there. Because they saw the way I was doing my job, they liked it. They transferred me to work with him to be like a personal assistant. But I am already in pain here. Then we moved. So we went to another city. I explained how I went there in the book. People need to read it for yeah. them to understand each part. Mm-hmm. You know. So when we get to the other city, that's where now the worst happened. Each boss I'm trying to work with, the first things he wants is to sleep with me. There is a time I did like... I, like, if one of the minister invites me, can you come and do this work for me? And I'm like, I'm not the only secretary here. 
I can have the ability to work very well, but I'm, I'm not the only one. Okay? I'm not doing it. So when you try to get there, and so I got to the point, if any minister, you know, call me, I... I work hard, like I, you know, like I was in my period, mm -hmm. just to try to protect myself. That's how bad it is in Congo for women to work. You know, I work hard to pretend that I was in my period. And you get there, yeah, he's gonna start touching you. No. I have my period on. Okay, okay. Uh, maybe next time. Next time, I'm not coming. If I'm not going to do that job, I'm not going to do it. And don't pay me. That's fine. I got to that point. You know. So when we got attacked now, again, it's, we were at the hotel and we got attacked. So we need, there was like the Randi's army that attacked us. Mm -hmm. And we were with uh, Ugandan army. We didn't even have a Congolese army. We had Ugandan army. And we got attacked. My boss who was the president, Wamba Diawamba. We ran away. He abandoned me. And now I'm, I find myself in this camp with the soldiers only. How can you abandon women in a camp? I'm just in my 20s. And you abandon me in the camp. He was taken by the Ugandan army to Kampala. And one night they, we were like several girls. It was difficult to sleep. We were sleeping on the floor, on the ground. Very difficult to sleep because you, you know, soldiers are coming and go, coming and go, trying to protect ourselves. So I'm abandoned in this camp full with soldiers, Ugandan soldiers. And that night we couldn't survive it. I was taken. And as I explain it, you know, when I was writing the material down. Sometimes Dr. Joseph, you know, wanted to interview me and and I couldn't speak. And most of the time when we finished this session, I was taken to the hospital because I'm trying to end my life. You know. But speaking became like a therapy to try because I was keeping all those things inside of me. And that's why I, I mean, I keep telling African women, we need to speak up. 
we need to speak up about all those things we go through. We need to speak up. If we don't speak up, the next generation going to suffer the same way. The same way. But we need to clean up and to say enough is enough. Why there is now like accountability to many companies here, let's say uh, in America and Europe, because women got to the point enough is enough, Me Too movement was born. Many big men are going to prison by just doing what African men, you know, do to us. Many here. Priests are going to prison here for what they did before to young boys. But why not in Africa? Why not? Mm-hmm. My presence at workplace, it doesn't mean I am a sexual pleasure for my boss or for any man there. It doesn't have to be that way. How can women get out of poverty if they can't work? Because each time they have to go to work, that means they have to be sexually abused there. How can we go forward? You know. So being left in that camp that I got raped that night by the soldiers. My life never been the same again. My life never been the same again. I got destroyed completely. Destroyed. And the person I was working for didn't even care. After I told him what happened to me. I went to report it to the general. It's not my fault. Your boss who abandoned you here is responsible for it. Really? I am somebody else's child here. Why do we have to live like animals in Africa? There's no regard for women and children. Why? Why? For how long does this have to continue on? You know? For how long? Because when you look at, I think of, even today, I'm still suffering from what, like PTSD, how I still hearing their voices, the way they were laughing, raping me, you know. You tie somebody else's child like that. 
and laughing, making turn. African men need to need to get to the point of knowing that being women, we are not object. We give birth to them. We nourish them. We take care of them. And in return, what do they do to us? It's horrible. Horrible. They have no regard at all or respect or consideration to women. You know? The way they raped me was like animals. Animals. You know? And until today, I always feel, I just want to die. I did my best to preserve my life. I accepted to go hungry to bed, not go look for men, give me money so I could survive because I don't have a father, I don't have a mother to, to provide for me. Since I was a kid, in the here, I was in hands of animals with the boss who didn't care he had a kid himself and he he couldn't even protect me how can you abandon girls in a camp like that but what that that's what he did you know when I reached Kampala, running for my life, I took all kind of pills. Fear of pregnancy, fear of diseases. The next month I got my period, I was okay, one, one thing resolved. I'm not pregnant. But the worst was yet to come from that. I went in that work just just to try to survive, just just to get a paycheck. I went to work and I got killed. I'm still breathing, but I'm dead already. Because of what they gave to me. In your own country, you know, I took all kind of pills I could think of, Nancy. I went to the pharmacy, bought them. I was discharging awful things. I was just so a mess. And I got there, I'm, I'm telling him, like, you, you need to stay there to try to fight for me. Fight for you? Fight for you? You are safe? I'm not safe there? And you still want me to stay there to fight for you? Is this a political thing? Do I care about politics? I don't. I don't. 
You care about being a president? I don't. I'm dead here. You know. So what I I I I give all the details in the book if people wanna read to understand how that went down. But it's it's so painful. Very very painful. Until today. And when I came to America, you know, I asked myself I need to be tested my entire body. My entire body. I'm not that coco anymore. I can't say I'm clean. I'm I'm the same coco. No. And my sister was like, "Oh, you don't have to. No, you don't understand. I'm not the same anymore." And all this when I was given a result it was painful until today. That's how I got infected. You know. It's it's like uh, being a woman it's a death sentence. Being a woman it's a death sentence. Why do we have to be that way? Why? I was born healthy. I before all this the only medication I used to take was malaria medication. I'm sorry Nancy. Coco, I'm so sorry. I'm so honored that you are trusting us with your story and for sharing so much of yourself with us. Take your time. Take your time. I often, you know, wonder when I have a guest on here and uh, Martin is well known. and i was very touched when she reached out to me to have you tell your story on this platform she could have called anybody and you ended up here to share with us it's been a struggle for me because i read a lot of what you have in your book and I watched your video on YouTube it's been a struggle the two times that we canceled to do this it was for you but it was a relief for me because i know this is going to change a lot of people's lives that have no voice So many people are going to feel that they are heard. Their story is out through you. So many people that have been affected by this senseless war from Congo and those women that have gone through 
this that have lost so many people through this war they're going to feel hurt so i'm beyond honored and grateful that you're sitting right here with me and sharing your story i wish was a beautiful story but it's a mess painful this is, this is the reason why, why we have this space this is the reason yeah. why we have this space this is a space where we tell all of our stories all of it why can't we just be like others in africa why can't we why not you know i used to take only malaria medication when i was born i was growing up and today i take more than 20 pills a day i'll send you a picture of it i have a bag a big bag of medication the money that is spent on my treatment every month just one medication for the infection they give to me the hiv infection i was supposed to get that really me absolutely not but the thing that i used to 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 run away from i accepted to go to bed hungry to avoid pregnancy and illnesses like that i went to get at work think the war time why why we can't be safe in our continent why i never 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 thought i'll be out of my continent i hated english class in high school i hated it because i loved to be in my country but it's not safe for any any child or any female one medication for hiv x 2000 something and you can't be on one type only you have to be on two or three type of medication per month 30 pills so it's in like a uh, more than 5000 just for one kind of illness that i have to fight per month i have no father i have no mother and then after that it you know become others the medication causes the side effect you you have another illness another organ you know it got destroyed with the medication another this now i ended up i'm taking medication for every part of my body because i was abandoned in the camp 
every part of my body I do take a medication for it. When when you look at me you're like, oh no, you are fine, you're healthy. I have invisible disability. Invisible. Something that I wasn't born with. Scars that is in me. From the time I lost my parents, everybody took advantage. Everybody. Everybody. At my family, at church, at work, my country took advantage. Why do we have to live that way? I remember when Dr. Joseph wanted to talk to me. I said, I don't trust you. I don't trust African men. How can I? After going through all those things they put me through. But he's different African man. He is. He is. You know. And us African women, we need to stand up and say enough is enough. We are the children of that land. We are the children of that land. If people call themselves pastors, they, what do they teach? They have to leave up for that. Don't touch women. Don't touch children. You have a wife. And if you don't have a wife, get married. But this is becoming like sex. Women in church, girls in church, we are like an object. Where can we go to be safe? You know, every day I have to take a medicine. I cry. I push myself to finish school, even how sick I was, and even how sick I am. I push myself. African woman is a strong creature on earth. African woman. We give so much. We get nothing except pain. From people we think we love. You know, we give so much African woman. Coco, you've been here for some time now, going through your journey. Have you, have you had a chance to speak to any therapists to, uh, through your healing journey? Because I know speaking with you before this conversation, um, 
your mindset was is very different. You've moved on, even though you still the voice of all of the women in Congo and the world that have experienced what you've experienced. Have you spoken to any therapist, and are you still doing that in finding healing? Yes. I've been on a therapy since 2000, since I've been here mm. until today. And I think I'll never stop it until I open the entire luggage because I still have things I haven't even touched. Mm-hmm. with my therapist you know how important is therapy to any woman let's say that has gone through what you've gone through what has been your experience if I if I still breathing today it's because of the therapy I go through otherwise I took pills several times to end my life I ended up in hospital. They put the uh, like the machine to try to drain all the medication out of my system. Mm-hmm. I I I went through that. As I said also in book, there is a time I tried to end my life in the river. Um took my sleeping pills I took some of just medication that I know they can kill me I've been through that pain and constantly I am on suicide you know watch because I I do tell my doctors I don't want to be here everything was taken away from me everything I'm in pain. Everything was taken away from me. But I I have a good team who are human, I can call them. They do whatever they can to be there for me. And African, like, let's say today, I do work. I never give up on on working even how sick I am. When I am in the hospital, I don't go to work. When I'm out and recover, I go back to work. Mm-hmm. Now, let's say I'm helping to work with refugees who are coming. Before I used just to work with the business companies. Right now, since since the stroke and the COVID, because I can work from home, so they need my help. In, and also with my story, this organization reached out to me, like, you can fit better with us and that. So I am talking to all African here. Get therapy. It's not a taboo or a sin to see a psychiatric or a counselor. 
We are broken, African people. We are broken. And it's okay to get help. We are not a superhero. We are not rocks. We are just a human being who can get hurt like anybody else. So I am doing my best to tell them to seek help as well as myself. I am doing it. I'm not ashamed of telling people I see psychiatric or I see a therapist. It's okay. It's okay. And we have to go above that African people. And we are not supposed to shame people who are going to see a therapist. We don't have to shame them. We have to support them instead. Because the problem is that people are not willing to go see therapists because of the shame people put on them. The stigma that is on the, you know, like mental health. Who can go through what I went through and not being sick mentally? Yeah. Who can? We are not a rock. We can pretend being strong, but we are hurt. So I have been under counseling, under therapy. I do take medication for PTSD. Those who don't know PTSD is a post um, PT post traumatic stress disorder. It's a disease that comes based on the event you go through. As I said, I was born healthy, very healthy. And before I, the only medication I could take was a malaria medication. But today I have a bag. If you want, I can go grab it and and show it to you. You know, a luggage of medication. That's where I am. It's like going to see the doctor, like a doctor's visit for me. It's another full time. It's a full time job. That's that's life. The quality of life that I had was taken away from me. But I refused to remain silent and I refused to die like that. I refused to give them power and that's why I pushed myself to finish school and even, you know, um, when I don't work all the time, I go to work and provide for myself because I refused to be their victim. I refused. And you might And we have to tell them. Yeah. We are we we refuse to think what you guys think we are. We are women, we are strong. We nourish them 
we feed them, we take care of them. So I refused that. So I do take my medication every day. I do see my therapist every two weeks. Even during the COVID time, I was on videos and I'm still doing like a video with uh, my, my therapist because I still have a lot to unveil yes. in me mm -hmm. that I'm still working on. You Your know? story is very chilling and inhuman. I am so grateful for your bravery and for honoring us with your powerful story. It's inspirational. Don't think um, for any second that your story is not going to inspire someone out there. Your story is going to inspire, it has inspired me sitting here. We are all going through something. We have our crosses that we are carrying, some heavier than others. I am grateful that you are here to inspire all of us around the world. And your story is going to live on forever. We recorded this and this is going to be around for a long time to, to change the future for other for others, for other women, for other kids. So I'm so grateful for you making space for us today to be here. For anybody who wants to get your book and to support you, your book can be found on Amazon and also on um iBooks and in Brands and Nobles as well. So please let's support Ms. Coco. She works with other organizations also that help women that have been in her situation. So let's support. I'll have the links. I'll have the contacts. I salute you. It's an honor. Thank you for having me, Nancy. Thank you. Yeah, I know it's it's not easy for me to talk at all, but thank you for being patient with me. No, thank you. Thank you. I appreciate it. Thank you. That's it for this episode. Thank you again for lending us your ears. It's truly an honor to save each and every dreamer. You can continue to support us by liking, sharing, and following us on our social media pages. The links are all in the show notes. We have so many exciting projects and ventures in store for you. Until next time, keep dreaming.
concrete pastures. <laughs>